Hello and welcome back to the Treasure Time podcast. You're here with me, your host, Sophia Giblin. And today we're talking all things Christmas. And I thought it'd be great to have a bit of a conversation about some of the magic of Christmas. So I've invited my good friend, Joe Atkinson, and his colleague, Olga, from The Caring Instinct to come and talk to us about the magic of Christmas today. So this episode is for adult ears only. We're talking about Santa. We're talking about Elf on the Shelf and the notion of good and bad, naughty and nice at Christmas. In this episode, Olga is going to introduce us to the concept of the unconditional Santa, which is something that she grew up with. And she said that she was surprised when she came to the UK that there's so many conditions placed around children's behaviour at Christmas based on being on Santa's nice list or Santa's naughty list and how embedded into the culture it is in the UK, but also then how that leaks out into other things like in school in December. As Joe mentions in this episode, there's no bigger incentive than the month of December for children to try their best to be good. But is this actually what's in children's best interests? Are there parts of themselves that they will suppress during this month because of the fear of missing out on Christmas presents? And how does Elf on the Shelf play into the idea of conditional Santa, where Santa has a little mini surveillance elf that lives in your house? And how can we keep things playful with our children rather than being so tapped into the conditional nature of good and bad around Christmas time? So I really hope you enjoy this episode and you find it as enlightening as I did. And it gives you some ideas of how you can keep the magic of Christmas alive with your children whilst removing some of those more harsh conditions that can come with Christmas time every year. Enjoy. Welcome, Joe and Olga, to the Treasure Time podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Let's do a little bit of an introduction to anybody who might not be familiar with your work. Joe and I go way back. We met 12 years ago, was it? When was the train? Like 2010, something like that, wasn't it? Play therapy training. So we met doing our play therapy training, but before play therapy, you were, what were you doing before that? I was teaching. Before that, I did addiction psychology and counselling. And since then, I kind of moved away from play therapy and worked in alternative education. And most recently, the last four or five years, I've been a therapist studying with Gabor Mate, Compassionate Inquiry. And where I met Olga, another training was at the Newfeld Institute with Gordon Newfeld, Canada. But for some reason, I've gone to Canada to do a lot of my training recently. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So just before we move on, tell us a little bit about your, how did you go from play therapy where we first met and working with kids to where you are now? I suppose the big, I started working more with adults and parents. The, the, the biggest shift is nothing really. I just basically had kids of my own and thought I don't want to be working with kids and come home to kids I want to have a bit more balance and I'd already trained started training in therapy and the course the the Gabo Mate course came up just started around that time so I'd followed him for a long time so it just fit it fit in and I went that way so and you and Olga met and set up the caring instinct do you want to talk us through a little bit how that happened Yes, we were both students remotely at the Newfield Institute, which is quite well known in Canada and the US, but it's sort of the internet's best kept secret, really. And it, and it's quite hard to find fellow students and a like-minded person here in the UK. So when we realized we were both based in the UK, Joe reached out and we thought, oh, 
we've got to try and do something together. So we ran a parenting group that was a lot of fun. It was called Conversations About Our Preschoolers. And then we set up a podcast and the Caring Instinct website. Fantastic. And what's your background, Olga? So I was an English teacher in Ukraine, where I'm from. And I very soon, first I realized I was more interested in teaching younger children than grown-ups, because as, as an English teacher, you work with everyone really with all ages. Then I thought, huh, I want to go even deeper into that. And I was exploring some alternative education in the Montessori school that was fascinating. And then I got married to an Englishman and we ended up first in China where our son was born and then here in the UK. And then I worked as a research assistant here at the University of Cambridge and I was studying at the same time developmental psychology at the Newfold Institute. And then here we are. Amazing. So you both had an interest in alternative education then. Yeah. Where's, where's that come from? I was a teacher. I was a bit of, I only did it for three years and it was just, I didn't like it both as a teacher and I didn't like it for the kids really. I could see a lot of so many things that I didn't like, especially as a play therapist. When you learn about play therapy, that you see the value of play as well. And then you're in school and playtime is just something you do when you're not working. It's like, I'll go out and play. It's not valued at all as uh, other than just a break from work, really. A, a lot of the alternative education they value play a lot more so I was drawn in by that I was going to say very similarly uh, it comes from frustration really with how it's all set up for kids where, and when you see this is not working they're just shopped from class to class they're enduring their education rather than taking any active interest in it their agency there's no room for it at all or there's very little of it the creativity is scheduled oh this is a bit of a creative homework right and they say draw a picture or something but and it's just not age appropriate I remember I had a five-year-old in my class and he had to sit a test with the older children in his class and I remember him saying Olga I can't try it and said what do you mean you can't try it and said my fingers hurt and I looked at his little five-year-old hand and it was like oh my goodness he is really physically not ready to write what are we doing here and then I found a Mansour education where there's so much more freedom and where children have this choice and this agency and the teacher follows the child goes towards an activity that they are ready for and they're interested in now and the teacher is supposed to follow their lead on that that is so much better yeah I can totally see that. Don't they actually show you like x-rays of children's hands at age five and their bones are not even connected in the fingers, right? To be able to hold pens and write. Yeah, I think I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we just get so fr fr so frustrated with getting them to do it as early. The, the answers always seem to be, okay, how do we get better? I know, we get them doing it a year earlier or something, something like get that them to do it more yeah. and again and then you end up spending more time doing it when you could just wait a few years and it might just be done with a lot less stress and less time more time to play yeah absolutely and I suppose it's, it sounds like it's coming from a place of concern that if we don't start early enough they're going to miss out but actually we're missing the that really crucial developmental play aspect yeah that builds the you know the imagination the creativity the thinking skills to be able to apply later down the line 
Exactly. That's the frustrating thing, isn't it? Because China, they think they're doing the right thing. Like it's done from a place of care in many ways, but. And experienced teachers know that too. I remember my own teacher trainer used to say, what takes a child three months when they're six will take them two weeks when they're eight. So people who are actually there with the kids actually doing the work are well aware of that. But it does not translate into policies, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. And like, where is that advice and information coming from the top that then filters down through? Interesting. Okay, so we could probably do a whole other episode then on education. But I'd really love to talk to you, the fact that we are in the middle of December and we are coming up to Christmas, about how we manage this time of Christmas with our kids. And I mean more from like a playful child-led perspective than from a how do we manage things as adults with huge to-do lists and like weight of responsibilities in December, because those things obviously are all on the plate for the whole month, right? I'm sure both Mm. of you, you both have two children each, is that right? Yeah, two young children. That's right. So you, you're juggling the adult responsibilities and then also the kids, all the things that the kids have to do during this time, but also trying to keep the magic of Christmas alive. And I saw your amazing post, Olga, about unconditional Santa. And I thought, let's talk about, let's talk about Santa. Let's talk about the magic of Christmas and where do we keep our kids in that space of living in this magical Christmas place like this magical christmas land where santa is real and there is elf on the shelf that brings magic every night and where's the line between telling children what is real and keeping them in this imaginary world before we start let's talk about unconditional santa because i thought this was a lovely place to begin olga why don't you tell us a little bit about what unconditional santa is I grew up with unconditional Santa because in Ukraine, where I'm from, there is no, or at least there didn't used to be when I was small, maybe it's it's there now, the concept of being good or naughty and getting a gift versus a piece of coal. Everyone got a gift from Father Christmas and the story of Father Christmas, more the cartoons, the associated shows around Christmas were all around Father Christmas overcoming some difficulties, some obstacles, some evil people or animals throwing various panels in the works to get to every child and bring a present, but there were no bad kids there. So when we came over here and I was already, and I had a one-year-old and I realized, goodness, it's all about this so much of this being good, being bad, and I detested it. So... It's really hard to escape, even if you don't want to do it in your family. It's just, I remember my son was three and we were at a supermarket and at a checkout, the checkout man asked him, so have you been good for Santa or for Father Christmas or not? And I was like, oh goodness, there's literally no escape. It's everywhere. My son knew that we told him that Santa was magical, which means that he comes to every child. And he actually, I remember, stood up at the nursery and said, when they were talking about the good and naughty kids and, oh, Santa won't come to you because it's just such a tool that suddenly parents and teachers feel is at their disposal around December. Oh, yeah, 
Seth is on my side. I will crack down on that behavior now. And he stood up and said, actually, my mommy says that Santa comes to everyone and you don't have to be good or bad. Uh, how old is he now? He's eight now. He's eight. Does he still believe in Santa? Oh, he knows. Oh, he knows. No. And if, yeah, if, if you with your children, this is probably the time to hide. <laughs> Put <Yes>. your head, <laughs> plug your headphones in. No, he does not anymore. He knows. When did he find out and how did that happen? So last year we were, we had a podcast episode too, didn't we? The secret of Santa. And he was dying to know what's the secret of Santa. And I said, well, what do you see the secret of Santa? Yeah. So, you know, send it back to the uh, child. And he said, mm, he was seven. So he said, mm, is it that there's no real reindeer or that because they don't fit through the chimney? Said, maybe he said is it that the reindeer can't fly I said hmm. so i i but that there was already a lot of conflict um in his head in connection with this idea he was questioning it and that's the way it came out and something else he was sort of questioning the plausibility of what was happening and i said well actually the secret is that we are Santa. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying there's no Santa, I said, it's, you know, um, Christmas Eve, when you go to, to bed, uh, Nanny and I uh, bring all the presents under the Christmas tree, and Dad and I have been planning what to get you, and all that. And he was blown away. He was, he was actually filled with gratitude. He loved that it was us. Was he? Yes, it was so special for him. He loved that. He was like, that's why I've been getting such good presents. Because you know what I want. <laughs> yeah. That's why Santa knows me so well. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yes. Yeah. He actually loved. He actually was delighted. He apparently has a better relationship and a stronger relationship with his parents and grandparents than with Santa. So he was very mm -hmm. pleased. I had feared the moment, but he loved it. And this time, um, this year, he loves being part of it too, especially for his little brother. Oh, of course. So he can, he can be in on the magic and creating it. Yes. Oh, how lovely. What a lovely way to find out rather than, um, I suppose, you know, another child coming up and saying, do you know? Yeah, because I remember being a kid, I remember a space knowing but not wanting to not wanting to say as well because I can't remember exactly. But I, I think it was you didn't want to jeopardize the, the situation that was going on. Like you were meant to get some presents, but you had an inkling. But there was a whole year or two years, I think, when I was in that space. What well, where you knew, but other people didn't. Yeah, I think so. Well, I, I knew I knew I had a feeling that knew, and I was kind of trying to find out, mm -hmm. or or the, and then it became well, I definitely knew. But I don't know if I said I knew yet. I still played along with you it. You weren't like causing trouble on the playground. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, how about your kids, Joe? Because they're a bit younger, both of yours, aren't they? They're a bit young, yeah. So when Olga was talking about the her son with working out the chimney as well, so my daughter was like the other day. She said he's not going to fit down that chimney. You know, she's six, and um, but she said, "Oh, I know. He'll probably just magic the door open or something like that." So she's still in the magic completely you know she's to me some it's quite exciting get when 
coming out of that magic and changing the role because it's it's like a developmental shift because she can understand she could understand individually i think all the reasons why it wouldn't it's not real but she can't put the pieces together yet she can't hold them all in one place so maybe in a she'll do it in a few years obviously um so yeah we still get to enjoy the magic of it really i find it yeah it's a lovely yeah it's lovely to be in that space you know it's a very playful space uh my son is three he'll be four soon so everything's still kind of magic to him anyways also it just it takes it in a stride really you know dinner just appears everything just appears anyway so it's just yeah it's all magic for him yeah but I think that there's some really lovely wisdom that you shared Olga in the way that you said that he was your son was so grateful to find out that it was you from that attachment perspective where he's thinking my mum and dad are tuning into exactly what it is that I like. They're thinking about me and buying presents accordingly. Is there anything else that you think you could you would share with with parents who are maybe wondering about how to have that conversation or how to manage it? So yeah, I'd like to say that that's true. That went really well for us. I was ready for um, some disappointment and sadness, really, and then I would have had to. Um, I would have tried to make room for it so in a way I think I try to preserve the magic and mm. I just said that the magic is us mm. which it is but yeah. for, for many children it can be a real loss of that magic I think it was for me when I found out uh, so I was quite a an observant child and I found and I noticed that there were maybe presents hidden around the house that later Santa would bring. And I didn't say, like, uh, just a joke, didn't say anything for a couple of years um, because I had a younger sister, so I wanted to protect her. And I think I wanted to protect my parents too because they were the ones putting on the show, so to say, for Christmas. So that's also something that... That's interesting to maybe spot in older children. Maybe they already know. Maybe there's they'd like to talk about it, but they don't feel as they can because the parents are so invested in the magic of Christmas that they don't feel like there's room for it. Mm. Mm. How would you would you open that up as a conversation? Do you think, or would you let them come to you? I think it's interesting to ask maybe some questions and see where they are with it. Just to open that conversation, as you say, just as simple as, well, what do you think about Santa? Maybe if you watch a Christmas movie, something like Christmas Chronicles or something, some, some of those two, these really intricate setups, I'm thinking about Arthur Christmas, where there's like several Santas and the whole family, and we can watch it for example and ask a child do you think that's how it is and they and invite their own ideas and just see their, where they are and also notice where they are in terms of their thinking on other things because there's a time that starts as early as five but probably a little later really when magical thinking gives way to the beginning of critical thinking and this is when children start to question these myths even though the myths are self-reinforcing in a way 
I remember my son went, oh, I didn't used to believe in the tooth fairy, but now that she's left me two pounds, now I do. Yeah. But if they say with Santa, maybe you are questioning Santa, but then in the morning they're a present. So, Absolutely. That makes sense. It brings me back to when you talk about the um, naughty and nice list as well. And you were talking Olga, about something about your relationship with your son, just was space for all of him just to come in and kind of wanted to find out. But he's very open in just saying what's what his what's he's experienced in his own world. Uh, when we come from that place, like the society does with Santa, like, OK, there's good and bad. And he encourages the opposite, potentially he encourages children to shut down parts of them, which they maybe think are bad or would the part of them that would be on the naughty list. And then all of a sudden it becomes harder to find those spaces where they can share what is inside them. So for me, that's because your relationship has just invited all parts of him there and it just happens like very naturally. That gets lost, you know, with a conditional Santa. Mm. Something else that I wanted to talk about was this elf on the shelf, right? So the idea that yeah. now Santa has basically like a surveillance elf <laughs> yeah. in your house. Yeah, because what does he do? He's one of Santa's elves and he watches you Watching and he goes you, yeah. and reports back to Santa. And he appears in different places, doesn't he? Every night he's in a new place. That's right. That's right. So do either yeah. of you use elf on the shelf? No, luckily it's not. I don't know if my daughter's even aware okay. of it. So, I've, but yeah, it might come up fun year, but let's see. I've got to say, I wish I had the energy for Elf on the Shelf because I love looking at all the parents' posts then on Instagram because they, I imagine they just sit down at night and they just, the, the Elf come up with all these adventures and messages for the child. This is This is so playful. I just absolutely love it, except for the whole creepy surveillance and reporting idea. So to do the Elf on the Shelf and just have fun with it without the good and naughty. Oh, that would be lovely. Right. I completely agree. So so I didn't know a huge amount of, of about Elf on the Shelf, apart from, like you say, seeing it on social media. So the Elf, overnight, the Elf gets up to all kinds of mischief. He might do things like eat all the cookies and then there's crumbs everywhere. And you're like, in the morning, the kids wake up and they're like, oh, look what the Elf did. But sometimes the Elf, I've sometimes seen the elf do like not very nice things, like cut up the kids' clothes or, you know, sometimes you think, yeah, really? and you're thinking, yeah. okay, so this is, there's like some elements where it takes a bit of a sinister turn, but then also, so like the playful element I completely get and I love, but there's some rules that come like with elf on the shelf that, that maybe I think make kids a little bit nervous, right? So if you touch the yeah. elf, it loses its magic. And I saw this video the other day of, these kids are screaming, crying their eyes out because the youngest child is picking up the elf and the elf has now lost its magic and the kids are distraught. To get the elf's magic back, you have to like write an apology letter to the elf or like sprinkle cinnamon around it. Like there's all these things you have to do. And, and I just sort of like wonder, like to what degree is that taking magical thinking like down a dark alley for kids, right? Rather than keeping it light and playful. What comes up for me is you talk, it's like safety, basically. When it when play is happening, when something's playful, it's only playful when the child is safe. Because otherwise, it's a bit like when they're fighting. You know, there's a sword fight going on. It's play, but as soon as someone gets hurt, the everything just stops, and the play's ended then, and it becomes real. Which is what, as you talk about those videos, like they have to write an apology. You know, the play just you've just lost the magic completely there, 
and you're in a, a different uh world and sometimes parents can get sucked into to that world very easily and and go you know it becomes what you know the elf becomes work or it becomes you know okay the it's a useful tool to get the behavior you know there's probably no better time of the year to say be good and for kids to really want to try and be good so the safety is a big thing that comes up for me as well in that it's the, the main thing how to keep them safe it, it, keeping it playful and uh, not being always it's going to keep them safe as soon as it becomes a real thing i would step back from it good advice olga does it bring anything up for you any thoughts yeah it's um it can be tricky when it's whose whose play it is and sometimes we as parents have grown up not as parents before, well, before we became parents, we uh, grew up in uh, such a conditional environment where we had to work so hard for love, really, that this starts to come out in our play in the same way. We can really go into this off-on-the-shelf uh, things with this really conditional energy. And this is play for us, but we forget that the child is on the receiving end of it. And in terms of the whole unconditional center, this is, of course, a nod to the book Unconditional Parenting by Alfie Cohen, that going unconditional in parenting can be a huge leap of faith because, but what if, but what if we drop the whole concept of naughty, the whole concept of punishment, but then they'll grow up bad, they'll be spoiled, mm -hmm. they'll be entitled. And this book really unpacks the why behind it. It is putting the relationship first, which is our mantra, bringing it into play. This can be a huge leap of faith, and this is not supported in the culture very much. So yeah, this is a good, this is a good book to go to. So in order to do unconditional Santa and unconditional parenting, is there like an underlying belief or something that people need to know about children that will ease their anxiety around the what is? That's a very good question. I think it's um, core really, because this is about our fundamental belief in human nature. If we believe that it's almost this Freudian thing that there's the good in our conscious and the dark in our subconscious and we've got to suppress the dark and be actively choosing the good. But this is not actually, this is not something that comes out in neuroscience, in more modern psychology. If we think about human nature as being fundamentally good, fundamentally we go towards cooperation with each other. We're capable of such caring and love. But if our bodies are in a stress response, if we are in a survival mode, if we're being attacked, or if we were attacked throughout our childhood, and this is the mode we've gone into for the rest of our lives, then we will be in these harsh conditional responses. So yeah. there, there's a lot there. There is. We have this kind of way of thinking that it's, everything's there to be learned like we want our kids to be a good student or good citizens or good people that it's our responsibility to teach the okay this is what you do to be good you know this is like you say please and thank you and stuff like that whereas where we come from it's for us it's more important to kind of look for the 
the pleases and thank you look, look just look and just notice that very often they're there they're just there but it's part of it's part of our nature to want to give you see like my son as soon as they could they love to give things as well yeah they have loads of tantrums as well and be you know they're developmentally they're in a place where they can't do it as well but it's not a place where it needs okay now i need to teach this now our invitation will just come along with the journey and that part of them will come back and as they get older it will unfold a bit more like fruit on a tree kind of thing it will come eventually but you can't you just can't teach it and sometimes with some of the dynamics in teaching it it makes you want to do the opposite like friends if i say to you you know say please for me as well so the part of me says actually i don't want to say please anymore <laughs> you don't want to do it it's so it can we can really jam nature up uh in this way that's really interesting so we should more just allow things to unfold as they as they should as they will naturally developmentally as children grow yeah exactly so i mean to your question it's more it's a, it really is a faith of that this kind of developmental approach that all this stuff is there it, it's it unfold it will come might be a few years away a few months away a few weeks it might be a while but it's in there to come it's not something we need to push and pull at love that so there's an element of trust that we have to have in ourselves and in our children that inherently they're yeah. good and that they will meet those milestones as and when they're ready exactly amazing so tell us a little bit more about the caring instinct though and what it is that you offer through your website. I know you do some webinars and you have some courses. Just tell us a little bit about that and where people can find out more. It's about parent support. Being a parent has really humbled me. Parents need support. So we've got webinars. The recent one has been about grandparents and navigating that sometimes difficult relationship. We've got a course about housework for children, how to bring children into the housework to make your family a more mutually supportive community and we will have consultations with joe and the podcast and lots planned for the new year so where can people go to find out more about what you do we are on facebook and instagram and the caring instinct and the website is thecaringinstinct.com thank you so much joe and olga for today this has been a really insightful conversation and i'm sure it will have helped a lot of parents who are thinking about how to navigate this uh, magical time of Christmas. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us, Sophia. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. And have a lovely Christmas. You too. Have a lovely Christmas. And that's it for today's podcast. If you're a parent looking to create stronger connections and nurture your child's well-being, I've got something special for you. I want to introduce you to Treasure Time, an innovative digital play course designed to teach emotional development through child-led play, my favourite thing. Imagine strengthening your relationship with your child, reducing stress and fostering a happy, healthy family dynamic all through the magic of play. Treasure Time offers bite-sized, fun instructional videos, engaging play dates and evidence-based techniques to improve communication with your child. By taking part in Treasure Time, you'll get six play dates to build that strong relationship with your child. You'll not only become a black belt play ninja, but you'll also gain valuable skills to enhance your child's emotional literacy and your own confidence in setting boundaries, being playful, and finding new ways to communicate with your child. Having a strong relationship with your child has so many positive effects, including reducing power struggles, fewer challenges in getting your child to listen to you or to cooperate with what you want, fewer emotional outbursts, and when they do happen, you have more skills to help regulate yourself and your child, 
And the best benefit of all is a stronger, deeper connection with your child that will last throughout their lifetime. It's a transformative journey that lots of parents have already experienced. So if you're ready to embark on this exciting adventure with Treasure Time, just head over to the website today, treasuretime.co.uk. Use the code podcast for an extra 10% off the price and you'll get access to the full course today. It's a small investment for a lifetime of benefits. It's your guide to raising an emotionally intelligent child and it's just one click away. Remember, this is not just about play, it's about creating lasting connections and helping your child to grow up happy. Visit treasuretime.co.uk and start your playful journey today. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep playing, keep connecting and keep making those precious moments count. If you enjoyed this episode of the Treasure Time podcast, please head over to Apple or Spotify and leave us a five-star review and a comment so that we can reach more parents who are interested in learning about the power of play. See you next time.